This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. Surprise, Claudette. Not the, all that surprise back there, but because uh, <laughs> no. I just walked by you. But uh, <coughs> excuse me, I have a cough button. I didn't use it. Um, welcome to the program, everyone. This is News Talk on VOCM, and um, several. St- you know, it's the um, lazy, hazy days of summer in uh, in a lot of aspects, including the news business. But there's still stuff going on. Hard to avoid the weather, though. Um, <laughs> 29, we just heard Jolene Grimes' report there from the newsroom. 29 degrees outside. I am not complaining. Just put that out there right away. I'm not complaining. I love nothing more, those warm breezes in the face. Um, but I'm looking south of the border. And, uh, you know, if you think this is all just our figment of our, of our imagination, um, I'm looking at, okay, so Phoenix. Let's take Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona for example. Used to the heat, the dry heat. They have had 19 straight days now of temperatures at 110 degrees or more. And get this, their nighttime low, Claudette, could you sleep in 95? No, I can't even sleep in, <laughs> in 19 degrees Celsius. The highest overnight low ever. And we're talking Phoenix. We're talking, desert. you know, Arizona, desert, um, New Mexico, Texas, south of the, you know, I mean, where you're getting those heat. When they're talking about how hot it is, you know it's hot. Um, again, not complaining, just stating that uh, these are uh, unprecedented things and, again, happening so, happening so often now and in so many places. And not just in North America, of course. I'm looking over at Milan. Again, lovely, hot space to be in the winter, dead of summer. They are, as well, breaking every record. Greece, Spain, Switzerland are battling wildfires. Um, what was the temperature? Let me see. The UN... The UN weather agency said temperatures in Europe could break the 48.4 degrees Celsius record set in Sicily two years ago. So, you know, uh, I don't know if I have to talk too much about it. We know it's hot and uh, it's a dead of summer. It was only a few weeks ago. We were in early June and never thought we'd ever see this. So um, I'll take it. I won't take what they're getting south of the border, but, um, you know, we will be as the uh, as climate change kicks in and those that kind of heat uh, in the Florida and the Panhandle and, and just along that area north of the equator is going to be unbearable. And we're going to be a pretty sitting pretty, I won't say cool, but sitting pretty uh, in good shape as the decades pass, I have to believe, as the, uh, the trends of warming uh, continue. So that is the weather. We could talk about the weather all day. There's other stuff in the news today, too. I was in court this morning for um, uh, latest appearance by a man. You may remember last year, in September, actually, the RCMP held a big news conference to talk about the first ever real case going to the courts, going through the courts for human trafficking. In other words, uh, people making money off uh, the avails of other people for various things, uh, most often sex. And... uh, 36-year-old Dominic Delisle has been the face of that, very much so. There are three other people charged in the human tra- trafficking case, including drugs and weapons as well. Anyway, that uh, that case has been slowly, and I mean slowly, making its way through the courts. And the courts can be a slow process at the best of times, but this particular case was held up really by a technical issue involving computers and, and encrypted and unencrypted disks. 
and what uh, the defense was getting from the Crown and the police. So that issue apparently has been resolved. So they're hoping to get to the point of entering pleas in that case. Um, that uh, disturbing to say the least, but we know what goes on. And these days when people are trying to make a dollar, they'll do just about anything if you're in a real spot, which is sad and difficult, but true. So um, some people prey on those sort of people in those desperate situations. Well, whether we're talking about vulnerable youth or just homeless people down on their luck, and uh, they'll turn to things to make money in a short uh, turnaround, but that's not necessarily the, um, the safest and the most preferred way to do it. Um, so that case, back in August the 8th, Mr. Delisle will be back in court. I'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, as well, you may remember last week, the Port of Argentia had a, uh, an event to mark all the celebration, the work that they put into making that a so-called marshalling port for the, um, right now, the U.S. Uh, offshore wind energy um, industry and uh, laying down and storing the big monopiles that are the foundations of uh, wind um, turbines that are placed and solidified into the ocean floor. So uh, there's another big announcement tomorrow. That's the reason why I mention that at Argentia involving the federal government um, and the port of Argentia. And they'll probably have something to do with last week's announcement. But this one is uh, related again to supply chains and improving cargo capacity. So we'll be keeping an eye on that as well tomorrow. A ton of other things going on, including the premiers are meeting with uh, a couple of federal ministers. Uh, for the Atlantic Growth Strategy Leadership uh, meetings in uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. And uh, we just had a chance to uh, listen in on some of that news conference. It just happened around uh, about an hour ago, our time, and we're still turning around the audio from that. So I'll have that in the next half hour. Uh, Going to take a short break, and then right after that, we'll talk about some uh, public uh, transit support from the federal government and the city of St. John's and Mount Pearl that was announced this morning. That'll be right after the break. This is Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain today on News Talk. Be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back on News Talk. Claudette, you got an traffic note. Yeah, I just got off the phone with one of our colleagues, Veronica, and uh, she was saying that a vehicle is broke down in the westbound uh, passing lane, so the westbound left-hand lane on Kim Mount Road uh, just past Lady Smith. Uh, that's for those of you heading, say, toward Mount Pearl. Now, traffic is blocked in both directions. I guess people are trying to get around that vehicle, yep. uh, but it's because traffic is so heavy, they're really not moving that well, so it's really slow on Kim Mount past Lady Smith. Yep, you come across that uh, on short notice with not, not a lot of notice and everybody doesn't know why the lane is backed up and there it is that's why that lane is backed up so patience is a virtue and uh, advised so thanks Claudette um, getting back to public transit support that was announced just a short time ago well announced this afternoon down at St. John City Hall um, the big story here of course is 18 accessible paratransit hybrid or electrical vehicles uh, will be added to the fleet. Um, let's get right to it. Uh, we had a number of uh, politicians and city officials there today, beginning with uh, MP Joanne Thompson. It is my pleasure to be here with Minister Abbott and Deputy uh, Mayor O'Leary um, and Councillor Lane. Welcome, um, and certainly for all the guests for this wonderful announcement. Our government remains focused on a brighter future, a more prosperous, more resilient, and more sustainable Canada for everyone. 
We also continue to take strong climate action. We grow our economy and create solid middle-class jobs across the country. As we continue this work, we are investing in infrastructure that supports all Canadians. Our goal is to strengthen the economy, our communities, and provide new, new social and economic opportunities for families, youth, and seniors. Reliable infrastructure keeps our communities running, and that's why we must continue to support projects like this across the country. And today, I am excited to announce that our government is investing more than $4.7 million to improve public transit and active transportation infrastructure in St. John's and certainly the public transit in Mount Pearl. The investment will support the purchase of 18 accessible paratransit, hybrid, or electric vehicles to replace the current fleet in the Go Bus service in St. John's and Mount Pearl with a more energy-efficient option. Throughout St. John's, 120 bus shelters will be equipped with solar panel kits, which will allow the city to illuminate the shelters using solar energy instead of electricity. And from Logie Bay Road to Portugal Cove Road, the funding will support the construction of a three-meter-wide shared-use path. The upgrade trail will provide residents with new access to more comfortable trail that makes it easier to get outside, stay healthy and active. It will feature rest areas, trailheads, landscaping, signage, and wayfinding. The link uh, this links to existing access paths from nearby streets, street crossings, and the intersections we up will be upgraded. So it really is support of the, um, the broader plan. Today's infrastructure will bring us closer to reaching the goal of achieving zero emissions by 2050 and also create opportunities for Canadians along the way. By investing in public transit and active transportation, we are reducing emissions, we are building better connections between communities, and we're making it easier for all residents to access services. Since 2015, the government has made historic investments in public transit to build cleaner communities across the country. And as we address the needs of our communities, we are also developing lasting benefits to Canadians by investing in public transit systems. Projects like this means Canadians will spend less time commuting and more time doing the things that they love. Today's investment also Bills on the work throughout Atlantic uh, Canada in the growth in the Atlantic Growth Strategy, and this strategy is intended to build better infrastructure throughout the region. And at the same time, as I've said earlier, we're creating and strengthening strong middle-class jobs, and also moving into local communities to strengthen the supports there. And, and so important, we're reducing emissions. By working closely with our partners, we can build the future we want while taking strong climate action, strengthening the economy, and bolstering communities. Together, we will make strides towards a common goal of a greener, more inclusive Canada. And when we invest in infrastructure, we are building stronger communities and investing in the well-being of all Canadians and strengthening our communities for the generations to come. So thank you so much, and I'm so pleased to be here today. Thank you.
Obviously, these projects will be of significant benefit to the communities of St. John's and Mount Pearl. And certainly the provincial government is proud to be part of this announcement today, and uh, along with the city of St. John's. And uh, the province will be contributing 3.9 million of the overall 11.8 million uh, being announced here today. And we know the value of being able uh, to experience our towns and communities. And an important element of that experience is access to reliable transportation. The projects that uh, Joanne announced and referenced uh, support accessibility and provide more active transportation options in two of our largest municipalities. As Joanne indicated, they will also reduce our carbon uh, footprint, which is obviously extremely important in today's world, and will also support the health and well-being of residents in the greater St. John's area now and into the future. And the purchase of the 18 accessible paratransit uh, vehicles will ensure the stability and continuity of this paratransit service, which was certainly a, a hot topic uh, here uh, this past spring. And the installation of the solar panel kits uh, on the 120 bus shelters around St. John's and, and Mount Pearl, uh, they'll be environmentally friendly, and it's a way to keep our shelters lit at night, which is certainly very important, while improving the transit, excuse me, the safety of transit users. And the shared use path, and you'll see the diagram here, there's uh, two options being considered, and I'll obviously get the Deputy Mayor to speak to that, will certainly improve the capacity and equality of our active pedestrian cycling infrastructure within the northeast part of the city by providing safer paths for use by all individuals for, community, uh, for commuting or for leisure. And obviously inclusivity will be a key component of that. There you have it. That's the uh, provincial minister, John Abbott, there, and before him, the MP. So we have the provi- uh, MP for uh, St. John's West, uh, St. John's East, sorry, um, Joanne Thompson, and that's the provincial and federal government sides. Right after them, municipal, Deputy Mayor Sheila O'Leary and Mount Pearl Councillor Chelsea Lane. It's wonderful to be here today for this wonderful announcement. You know, it's great to have these kind of partnerships. So on behalf of Mayor Breen, And my colleagues on council, I'm very pleased to be a part of this joint announcement today. City of St. John's is committed to ensuring a sustainable future, as outlined in our Resilient St. John's Climate Action Plan. And the plan lays out our path forward to address climate change, to manage energy, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions generated both in our community and by our organization as well. So the next five to ten years are critical ones in our efforts to address irreversible climate change. Resilient St. John's outlines the path to achieve net zero by 2050. Uh, With 49% of our GHG emissions coming from transportation, the funding that is being announced today is going to go a long way to support our efforts to conserve energy, reduce our transportation costs and our carbon footprint, allowing us with the funds to purchase 18 accessible paratransit hybrid or electrical vehicles to to replace the current gasoline burning fleet used in the go bus service in St. John's and Mount Pearl these these vehicles will be purchased as required over the next several years to replace the current fleet i'm also especially pleased that this project supports our paratransit system our goal continues to be providing a public transit system that is accessible for all This investment supports an accessible network of vehicles that also protects our environment, a win-win for the city. 
So Metrobus shelters are an integral part of our, an accessible, convenient, and safe public transit network. And as Minister Abbott had talked about, the safety with the lighting of our uh, um, uh, shelters is, a, is an important feature. We're especially pleased to be able to power all 120 Metrobus shelters with these solar panel kits as well as part of that funding package. So whether or not you take the bus, you walk, you cycle, use a mobility aid or drive a vehicle, St. John's aspires to be a city on the move, as outlined in our strategic plan. Building an accessible and well-connected transportation system is an important part of creating a healthy and vibrant community. So in the last few years, our focus has shifted significantly towards improving the city's opportunities for active transportation. There are already several shared-use path projects in various stages of development, including the recently announced shared-use path along Elizabeth Avenue. And funding from this announcement today will support the construction of a shared-use path from Logie Bay Road to Portugal Cove Road. Uh, so, regarding that, public engagement is currently still open on three shared-use path projects. An upgrade and extension from Airport Heights Majors Path to the Paul Reynolds uh, Community Centre on Carrick Drive via Penny Crescent. The second, a new shared-use path connection along Co- Columbus Drive from Canada Drive across Waterford Bridge Road to connect to the T Railway in Byron Park. And this project, which, are, uh, which uh, we're pleased to announce, has been funded the shared-use path from Portugal Cove Road to Logie Bay Road via McDonald Drive and Tupper Laurier Park. So you can see that on the map there. So we're anxious, we're very anxious, and looking forward to reviewing the public feedback on this and the other planned and previously funded shared-use paths. While projects are early in the design phase, it is important for us to engage with residents and potential users to get their feedback, their opinions, on the alignment of the trails as well as amenities and signage along the routes. The current plan for the Logie Bay Road path is to upgrade the existing gravel trails to a three-meter-wide asphalt surface with rest areas, trailheads, landscaping, and signage. And as with the Metrobus projects that are announced today, we see how accessibility and sustainability are going hand in hand. Paved shared use paths are designed to be accessible for people of all ages and abilities. And they are wheelchair friendly, stroller friendly, and provide a safer and smoother surface for all users, regardless of their mobility or their physical limitations. And they offer an alternative to motorized routes in our municipality. So, again, the greenhouse gas emissions we're addressing here. So as tenders are awarded for these various projects, we will keep residents informed at each stage throughout, uh, through our online council meetings, our website, public service announcements, and on social media. Again, I'm very grateful, very thankful to our government partners for your support. I would also like to acknowledge the hardworking city staff and our Metrobus staff uh, for their dedicated efforts towards sustainable and active transportation. It's a lot of work, and so I'm very grateful for your work. Thank you to all involved, and I look forward to starting work on these projects. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here today um, and join our regional partners um, towards this movement towards a uh, more inclusive and greener future. So I'm just immensely proud to be here for this announcement today. Um, We are so proud to improve accessibility in our region. 
The new accessible vehicles will be designed to accommodate varying, varying individuals, providing them with a safer and comfortable mode of transportation. These vehicles will offer features such as wheelchair ramps, ample space for mobility devices, and other accessible enhancements. By upgrading our fleet, we are actively working to improve quality of life and promote inclusivity within our transportation system. The journey towards equity is ongoing and it takes all of us working together to make a real difference. We continually seek opportunities to enhance inclusion, accessibility, and equity, and this is yet another step towards the right direction. We are also happy to, to take a significant step towards reducing our carbon footprint and fighting climate change. These hybrid electric vehicles will produce significantly fewer greenhouse gas and emissions compared to the conventional vehicles. As a result, we will help to mitigate the adverse effects of climate change, helping to create a cleaner and healthier environment for all. I look forward to continuing to work with our partners to create an accessible and green region. And there you have it. That's Mount Pearl Councillor Chelsea Lane following in the right footsteps of her dad, Paul Lane, MHA Paul Lane. And before Paul, before Chelsea, of course, we had Deputy Mayor Sheila O'Leary of St. John's all toward the uh, new announcements public for public transit and uh, infrastructure projects, all green, accessible, paratransit, hybrid and electric vehicles. This way, we're all moving. Okay, a little late for the news, but uh, none the worse for wear. I'm going to take a short break here on News Talk. When we come back, we'll hear from uh, the premiers and uh, federal ministers on um, on the clean fuel regulations, on hydro. Uh, we'll hear the premier himself, uh, Premier Fury, and other things coming up right after the break. This is News Talk. We'll be right back. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And welcome back to the program on this hot, hot Tuesday afternoon, certainly in Metro Region and just about everywhere else by the looks of it. Uh, and I'll take it. Not going to go over that again. Um, let's see. Elsewhere in the region, in Moncton, New Brunswick today, and just a short time ago, uh, the premiers, uh, the former the uh, Atlantic region premiers, of course, as well as several federal ministers, were on hand for the uh, Atlantic Growth Strategy Leadership Committee meetings in um, in Moncton. Um, wouldn't say it's part of the barbecue circuit, but you know this is uh, these opportunities when the federal and provincial. Uh, officials get together, the, especially the premiers under the situation, which uh, they're c- being very critical of the federal government's clean fuel regulations, which they say uh, unfairly um, uh, taxes uh, people in this province and the other three provinces in Atlanta, Canada, more so than the rest of other uh, provinces in the country. And so that's certainly been an issue that the premier of this province, um, Premier Fury, has brought to the table, as well as the other premiers. And uh, that was brought today up as well as, it must have been interesting, there's some uh, interesting comments from uh, for the federal ministers feeling the heat in the, uh, in the room, and they're not just talking about the weather. But, um, yeah, they faced that uh, as well as other issues there this morning, as well as announcing uh, $30 million for a joint tourism initiative for the region and other topics that came up. But, um, 
Yeah, so we'll begin with um, the Honourable, let's see, Dominic LeBlanc. He's the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Infrastructure and Communities. And he led off uh, this afternoon's meeting uh, before handing it over to the other federal ministers and eventually the premiers. So, colleagues, we uh, finished uh, uh, what we think was a productive uh, collaborative meeting of the Atlantic Growth Strategy Leadership Committee. It uh, represents the uh, first ministers from our region, four uh, of Canada's premiers, uh, and the federal ministers from the region. We were also joined by our federal colleague, Omar Al-Gabra, the Minister of Transport, uh, joined us last evening and then again today uh, for the conversations around uh, access, uh, regional air service, ferry services, supply chain resiliency. Uh, so to have Omar Al-Gabra with us was also important. Um, the main themes of our conversations today were around leveraging population growth and attracting and retaining a strong workforce. Obviously having the Federal Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship from Atlantic Canada participating at this meeting uh, was very helpful. Uh, increasing uh, productivity and competitiveness of the economy of the region is always one of the themes um, that we discussed. Uh, reducing interprovincial trade barriers, noting that the Council of Atlantic Premiers have taken, we think, some very innovative and positive steps around things like an Atlantic Physicians Registry, uh, the Atlantic Technical Safety Agreements. The governments in Atlantic Canada have worked collaboratively and effectively. Uh, our conversations were how can the government of Canada be the best partner possible? Um, and we obviously talked a lot about uh, advancing the transition to a net zero green economy. And finally, any conversation around the transition uh, to a net zero green economy necessarily involves a conversation around affordability. We uh, talked with the premiers, uh, we the federal ministers last evening and again today around how the government of Canada can be a partner uh, recognizing uh, the regional impacts uh, of uh, the measures to transition to a cleaner, a greener economy. Uh, it's something that all governments share. We talked about the shared objectives we all have. Uh, so the part for us that's important is how can the government of Canada uh, put in place the right measures that support Atlantic Canadians and all Canadians that want their governments to collaborate together in this transition. Jeanette. Merci, Dominique. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. And it's wonderful to be meeting my colleagues here in Moncton. Uh, it seems like every day we are seeing new data to back up what many of us have known for some time. Our economy hasn't just turned a corner, it's actually turned a page. So how do we do it? Well, I think like any smart business, we follow up on our investments that paid off. We take what we've learned and use it to hone our vision of the future. We work with partners and seek new opportunities on the horizon and bring them within our grasp. And that's exactly what we plan to do. Our discussions today were a chance to take stock of the results of the Atlantic Growth Strategy and see how we can refine our priorities to chart a course for the next leg of our journey. And that journey has to be together. 
Across Atlantic Canada, we are currently witnessing a remarkable trend. Individuals and families are choosing to make this region their new home. And it's not a coincidence. It's a testament of the untapped potential and growing opportunities that exist right here. But this is this also comes with challenges. And as Dominic indicated, we certainly talked about those today. It's been said that the true sign of intelligence isn't knowledge, but rather imagination. In Atlantic Canada, we are seeing firsthand a culture of innovation that is taking hold, and this is creating its own momentum, attracting more innovative thinkers and giving our region a competitive edge. And it will take bold imaginative thinking to tackle some of our most of our region's most longstanding challenges, like air access and internal barriers to trade. We need to bring some innovative thinking and fearless pursuit of progress that has energized our economy to bear on these challenges and not let them hold back on our potential. And as Atlantic Canada takes its rightful position in the Canadian and global economy, we must work harder than ever to accelerate the transition to a net zero green economy. The challenges and opportunities that come with this transition are bigger than any one community and bigger than any one province. And here are and here too, our strengths will come from our collaboration together. And that's why we're committed to working together on clean energy generation projects and improving access to existing sources of clean energy to ensure businesses in Atlantic Canada can adapt and also can compete as we transition into a net zero economy. We need to seize the moment and that moment is now. We also know that competition for international travel is going to be quite intense in the coming years, and the time to focus our efforts on promoting Atlantic Canada as a tourism destination of choice is absolutely now. And that's why that I'm pleased today to announce that we've agreed to renew the Atlantic Canada Agreement on Tourism for $30 million over the next four and a half years. This innovative agreement fits well into Canada's new federal tourism growth strategy and will help boost visit to the region for years to come. And again, very happy to collaborate with the provinces on this issue. Merci, Jeanette. I want to thank the federal cabinet ministers, Dominic LeBlanc, Jeanette Petipot-Taylor, Sean Fraser, Goody Hutchins, Laurence McCauley, Omar Algebra, and Seamus O'Regan, along with my fellow Atlantic premiers, Tim Houston, Dennis King, and Andrew Fury for their valued participation in the Atlantic Growth Strategy Meeting. We did explore ways we can partner for the betterment of our region. This would include immigration attraction and retention and foreign credential recognition to help address worker shortages. We spoke of national housing shortage and the options for addressing the serious issues facing Atlantic Canada with the, with the population growth that we are seeing. Infrastructure project to enhance growth potential and looking at productivity improvements to enhance our competitiveness worldwide. And last but not least, we spoke about energy and climate change targets being set by the federal government. These, these policies are causing inflation, rising interest rates, and the increase in costs for everything from fuel to groceries. As premiers, we voiced our shared concern that Atlantic Canada is being disproportionately affected by the carbon tax and the clean fuel standard. The clean fuel standard alone is impacting Atlantic Canada's economy three times more than elsewhere in the country, despite the fact that our region has been leading the country in the reduction of carbon emissions for the past decade. 
We were encouraged, however, by, the federal, by our federal colleagues' recognition of this reality and their apparent willingness to, to address this in a meaningful way for all Atlantic Can Canadians. These meetings can be meaningful, and it's only the outcomes that bring fruit to the, to the work that's been done here in the last couple of days. That is the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs, uh, hosting the um, Atlantic Canada uh, growth strategy and oh, the full growth strategy leadership committee meetings, right, in Moncton, New Brunswick. And of course, he mentioned there, you know, he uh, seems that the federal government uh, appreciates and understands those uh, issues. You know, there's a lot of stuff there in common, of course, um, mutual, of mutual concern, I should say, air access, ferries, cost of living, and of course, those clean fuel regulations. Coming up uh, after the break, we're going to hear some of the question and answer session with that. And um, the federal ministers will be put right to the test. And as I mentioned earlier, they uh, openly admitted they were feeling a bit of the heat in the room um, with the premier's sort of uh, staring them down into these clean fuel regulations and putting the question right to them, whether or not Atlantic Canada is unfairly uh, take, having to pick up um, a good bit of the cost of this. But uh, we'll get back to that and the questions and their answers, including a question uh, for Premier Fury on the same issues as well as hydro and some of the issues going on there. That'll be right after the break. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talk. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Just uh, before the break there, we heard from the um, Minister of Official Languages and Minister Responsible for Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, uh, Jeanette Pedipa. We also heard from um, Federal Minister Dominic LeBlanc, as well as, uh, well, we're going to hear from Federal Minister Algabra, as well, who are all in Moncton this afternoon um, for the uh, Atlantic Canada Growth Strategy Leadership Committee meeting. But of course, um, you know, the Atlantic Premiers are not all that happy with the federal government and the ministers responsible these days. There's some, definitely some tete-a-tete, some back and forth over whether or not it's uh, all these new carbon taxes and clean fuel regulations are unfairly targeting this region over others. Um, so reporters were given um, some limited opportunity, I'll say, uh, to ask some questions today. And a local reporter was the first uh, up, and he went right at the clean fuel regulations. And he was followed by uh, questions for Premier Andrew Fury. We'll start with Adam Harris from the New Brunswick Telegraph Journal. Thanks, Sheila. Um, Premier Higgs, in your opening uh, statement there, you said there's been a recognition from the federal government of the impact of the clean fuel standard. Does that mean the region's going to get an offset or some kind of reprieve? I want to hear from Minister LeBlanc on that, but also uh, Premier Higgs. Okay, so if I start that, uh, I think there's been a recognition for some time now that that um, Lanikan is disproportionately impacted by the increase in costs, and that has to relate to the the impact it has based on the size of our economy, based on the fact that we're a rural we're rural in nature, uh, all four Atlantic provinces, and and that we don't have the mass transit that other provinces have. So um, there's a, there's been that ongoing recognition that that's a reality, and the discussion today, as I said, I was. Um, was um, somewhat optimistic in relation to the discussion we had about, okay, it's real, 
it did go up. I think there was a, an understanding that maybe it wouldn't go up, but it did. Price did go up in, in all four Atlantic provinces. We are a regulated environment, which is unique too across the country because the, the, uh, there's a different availability and competition issue here in the in Atlantic Canada, and and so that's why it's regulated, but it has a different impact on us. So. I am encouraged by the conversation today, and I'll be more encouraged by the, the answer that Minister LeBlanc gives. So the pressure, Adam, the pressure's on. I can, you can't, you're not in the room, Adam, but you can feel the increase in pressure here. Um, so Adam, um, I, I, my, some of my federal colleagues may want to add something as well, um, but we did hear from the premiers, but we also hear from Atlantic Canadians, uh, concerns around affordability. Uh, this is a national and I would argue international challenge, but there are unique challenges in our region. Uh, that was part of the discussion we had, we thought, with the premiers today that was uh, very collaborative. Uh, as you know, Adam, we have a number of measures in place to return money directly to Canadians, uh, understanding that the burden uh, of these measures uh, needs to be shared in a way that is appropriate in terms of those most affected. Um, and that would include Atlantic Canadians. So there are a number of measures that we have in place, um, but we're always interested in hearing uh, ways that the national government can address affordability issues broadly in the region, um, not only in terms of energy costs, but uh, in terms of other affordability issues as well. We're very sensitive to that. That's why we've acted in a number of specific ways, uh, but we're always open to suggestions uh, to do things that would uh, respond to uh, a, unique, uh, a unique need that uh, particular regions at a particular moment may have. I, I don't know if my colleagues want to add something. So Adam, that was a, such a complete answer that nobody wants to add anything. Patrick Butler de Radio-Canada. The question is actually for Premier Fury. Um, Premier, I'd like to ask a question uh, regarding, I'd like to get your response to uh, uh, the new issues related to uh, uh, having to completely dismantle one of the generating units in Muskrat Falls and uh, the Muskrat Falls uh, transmission lines uh, issues there. Um, what do you make of those new issues? Uh, Patrick, uh, thanks for the question. Whenever you hear of issues on that project, it's, uh, it's never fun and never pleasant, but uh, the project is certainly moving in in the right direction um, of course these technical um, issues are being dealt with by engineers and by the team that's in place and of course uh, that's beyond my technical expertise but i do have full confidence in mrs williams and her team uh, that they uh, will resolve these issues in, in a timely fashion and i believe uh, as she said as much uh, to you and others as well um just to follow up to that to, to yourself and to premier uh, houston as well um you know, these new problems keep coming up. And, and so what is your level of confidence in Newfoundland Labrador Hydro's ability to, to get this project to a point where it is reliable? Well, you know, I think if you look at where we were three years ago, the project has made uh, in, incredible progress. Um, of course, whenever there's a technical issue, it's, it's frustrating for uh, for consumer and provider alike, but uh, the progress that Mrs. Williams and her team have made have uh, has been just uh, incredible um, to get this project to very close to fully commissioned. And while this is a, a setback, um, I think it's a it will be resolved and the project will be uh, back on course. As you were fully aware, uh, Patrick, I mean this was not a project that we set forward, but it's one that we've had to deal with and. 
thanks to uh, people at this table and the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, we were able to create a deal that uh, lessened the burden for people in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. So while the project uh, remains uh, remains on track right now with this potential hiccup, if you will, I do have full confidence in Ms. Williams and her team to to get it to completion. And that is Premier Andrew Fury right there speaking uh, just a short time ago in Moncton, New Brunswick at the Atlantic Canada uh, Leadership Committee meeting, Growth Strategy Leadership Committee meetings for the um, four provinces as well as the ministers who really uh, uh, are intricately involved there, of course, infrastructure, communities, ECOA and all that. Um, and the Premier, of course, there, as he uh, is wont to do, to remind us that uh, it wasn't this government, or a Liberal government for that matter, that uh, initiated or carried through with Muskrat Falls. But that being what it may, it was only about a month ago that Hydro announced that 13.5 was the end pr- uh, price, you know, more than double the 6.2, but that um, the issues still keep coming up and uh, you can regularly see them online uh, at the, on the Public Utilities Board site um, when Hydro is required to uh, file these intermittent reports about how progress is going. So um, once again, we have a full generating unit that needs to likely be um, taken apart and uh, put back together again. And they're hoping that isn't uh, uh, synonymous with the other three units. But uh, And as well now, thousands of parts that have to be... Um, that have to be reinstalled or put back together for uh, for the Muskrat Falls project as well. Equipment that uh, just, uh, it basically has to do with uh, fixing recurring transmission issue that uh, continues to crop up. So it's the vibrations, then it was the lil, now it's these other issues. Um, CEO Jennifer Williams has made the point before that these issues are not uncommon with new projects like this as they try to ramp up. And, uh, boy, this has been trying to ramp up for some time. Anyway, on to a more human level, something we can all probably relate to at this very moment. Um, And speaking of vehicles and on the road, we got James on the line. Claudette, uh, James there? Hello. James, you're right there. Hi. How's it going? How are you doing? How are you doing today? Really great. How was up? You're offering a reward Uh, for the loss of, I see, antique uh, car, not the car itself, but a part. Yes, my trunk lock fell out. There's a hand unit which turns into a chrome unit. Right. And it, and it has a lock in the center. And it fell out somewhere driving in Sorbonne Road down to Portugal Cove sometime uh, late last evening. And it was, I, I was hoping somebody may have seen it on the road or something because it's pretty attractive looking. Yeah, <laughs> and, in, and in the sunshine, it probably be, probably um, might be gleaming back up at you. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I, I toured the road today and I, I had I didn't see it. And so I never had no, no, too much luck with that. I was hoping you guys would probably help me out now by just speaking to the people. Maybe yes, somebody can help me out. you would be surprised. All you got to do is throw that out there. You never know who's listening and who might see it. So we're talking okay. yesterday evening, Thorburn Road yes. going towards Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. Yes. Okay, and, and no idea, hey? No idea generally? No. Like, are we talking about Sunshine Camp or further down? or? Uh, yeah, all in that area, yes. Okay. Right. And what kind of yeah. antique car are we talking? A uh, 1951 Dodge Regent. Oh, jeez. Color? Yeah, that's all black. Oh, all black. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. The handle is a comb handle that turns with a lock inserted in the center. And this is anyway, for the I, trunk, right? No, it's a, for the trunk, yes. Yeah, so better, bigger than a bread basket. So if I'm holding it in my hand, is it like the size of a belt no, buckle or it, is it a... It's, a, it's as, as big as a belt buckle or so, a little bigger maybe. Right on. And it's black. And, uh, my number... That's my a hot... number. That's a hot I'm car on a day like today, by the way. 
Oh, yeah, deal's there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but all black makes it even hotter. Uh, yeah. You got a phone number. Go for it. 764-2298. 764-2298. And we have that number here as well, uh, James. So if someone doesn't can't uh, copy that down or anything, if anyone wants to call VOCM, we'll have your number here as well. Okay, and uh, I know it sounds, it seems like a little bit of a needle in a haystack, but you never know. Somebody might have picked that yeah, up, noticing how unique it was. And well, actually, one time there, there, there last year, I was uh, coming, I made a turn in there to Rio, and lost the toolbox and didn't know it at the back <laughs> of my, one of my trucks, <laughs> and tools were all scattered all over the road. And uh, a friend of mine called called the radio station. He said, "I can find that for you." And sure enough, I got my tools back. <laughs> oh yeah. It's oh, it's an amazing resource. You can all the social media you want, but call VO, we'll get it for you. Yeah, you got to reach out, man. Thanks, brother. Thank you very much for calling, James. Good luck with that. Let us know what happens right. if you can. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, that wraps it up. Uh, this is News Talk. We do take phone calls all throughout the show, by the way. Um, uh, and probably me tomorrow. I don't know yet if Linda will be back tomorrow or not. We'll find out. Uh, but good reminder there that we do take calls. And if you've got anything on your mind, whether it's something lost or something you want to get off your chest, by all means. Uh, that's it for News Talk today. We'll catch you back tomorrow. Uh, I'm Brian Callahan. And for Linda Swain, have a great, safe afternoon.